right, how are we doing? Hey, it snowed outside. Oh, it wasn't that great, good. Last night I'm just sitting there in my own business, doing my own thing. I get a text, hey, did you know it's snowing? I said, what? I opened up the door and there it was. Like the good old days in West Virginia. Except, thank the Lord, today it will be gone by noon. But by the time you get out of here, it'll be all gone. It'll be like a memory in the past. You'll have forgotten all about it and be longing for the next time. Um, but no, um, good morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles, grab those. Jonah chapter 1 is where we'll be. Jonah chapter uh, 1. We're going to start in verse 3 this morning. Um, if you have our app, you can follow along there under uh, worship. Uh, there, there'll be sermon notes. You can follow along there if you'd like to, uh, to kind of follow along that way and keep up and place you can take little notes and stuff um, that you can go back and look at. Um, so all that stuff will be there. Uh, the real drive behind the book of Jonah for me, or I guess what God's really just pressed upon my heart uh, this time as I've read through it and as, I, as we have the opportunity to dive in and just go verse by verse through this, this, this uh, book, um, is missions. It's all throughout. The very heart behind God's call on Jonah's life is to go tell a, a group of people that need him about him. Um, and so for me, as I've studied and I've looked and I've just prayed months ago about, God, where would you send us? Where would you lead us uh, in the upcoming months? And we uh, arrive at this sweet little book called Jonah, this, this little book here just nestled right in the Old Testament with these minor prophets. Uh, man, man, my heart has just really been bent toward missions this year. As it has in the past, very missional heavy, but, but I, just, I think for us as a church, man, we just need to get our focus and our eyes on our community. I mean, we are living in a day where people are searching for answers. They're searching for something. And for us as the church, we have the great privilege and honor of being able to, to give to them the very thing that they need that they don't know that they need, but that they need. And so we have that calling on our life as followers of Jesus to be able to do that. And so uh, for us as a church, man, I just want to point our attention and our affection and our heart uh, all the more to that of God. And I want us as followers of Jesus to align with that reality of, man, we are called to go. We are called to tell people about the great redeeming love of Jesus Christ. And so that's just the very heartbeat behind this book. And, and you'll see some things coming out, rolling out over the next few weeks, months, um, that, that for us as a church that we're going to be about that we're going to be doing in our community. And so uh, I'm excited about that. But if, if you missed last week, just real quick uh, recap of last week, we just looked at two things as we kind of uh, got us uh, up to speed with where Jonah's at and what was happening in his day. And the two things that we looked at was this, simply this, is that God speaks. God shows up and he speaks to Jonah and he gives Jonah a call. He gives, he gives Jonah a message and his message is a message of redemption for a wicked people. And that was the two things that we looked at as we got through two verses last week. And, and so today what I want to do is before we jump in and we really dive in, I just want us to just take a minute and just look at those recipients of this message for just a second again. I wanted to keep that heavy on our hearts as we read through this book, as we read through this and we see what God wants to do in this world. But this is a sweet message of redemption that God has commissioned Jonah with. And so Jonah was called to go where? To the people of Nineveh. And to cry out and to tell them. And so Nineveh is just this chief Assyrian city. It's a foreign city. It's a Gentile city. It's a city that Jonah would never have a desire to go to. It's a place that Jonah would never think of going and visiting and being there. I mean, these people in that day, in that time, were brutal and cruel. I mean, they were a horrific group of people. People that you would not want to be around, that you would not want to do anything with. You would want to avoid at all costs. And last week I told us of a few things that they were, they were well known for. Like whenever they would take a captive, they, they would rip off their lips. I mean, I don't even know how you physically do that. But they would take and rip their lips off. They would rip their hands off from their arms. They would fillet their victims alive. And once their victims would die, they would take their skull and they would just leave these massive piles of skulls laying around so people would know you don't rise up against us. You don't come against us. You don't mess with us. There's a way that we have said, and if you don't do it, you're just easily to join that pile as anyone else. And so as I thought, and as I was reading, and as I was looking this week, why them? Why the people of Nineveh? Why a people that would seem to be too far to reach, too far gone? A wicked, wicked people like that. Because these people aren't just bad, right? Like, they're, they're real bad. Real bad real bad 
but the problem in that thinking, the problem in that mentality, and I believe that we're probably all guilty of, is, is that we, we like to play those games with sin, don't we? We like to categorize sin and how horrific certain sins are and how maybe not so bad other sins are. And we would never say it with our lips. We would never, we would never say it out loud or, or, or even have conversation like that. But in our heart, that's kind of where, that's where we kind of um, uh, dance around a little bit, is it not? Like certain sins, is it really that bad? Is it really not that bad? And we kind of uh, weigh them. We always weigh them against like the really bad, bad type sin. And so those are the kind of games that we play. Those are the kind of things that we do. And I think we do that to justify I mean, look at those people. Look at what they did. Look at how they acted this weekend. Look at what they got caught up in again. And we do those type of things. But, but, but I just want to take a quick survey, survey real fast. And so this is where we get to interact a little bit. And I just want to ask you a quick question to just, before we jump in headlong in what God's got for us this morning. Who in the room sinned this week? Oh, you dirty, sinful, wicked people. And I don't raise my hand to try to coax you. I raise my hand to join you. That's exactly right. I'm in the same boat as you. We, we've all fallen short of the glory of God somehow, some way this week, haven't we? I mean, did you, I mean, and y'all were quick on it too. Like, especially like this side over here. I stand over here for a minute. I mean, like they were quick on it. Who's saying, eh, me? I mean, like, come on, church. We got to be a little bit better. I mean, at least, like, debate with it for a minute. But I mean, I mean, that's the bow we're in, is it not? I, I mean, all of us in this room raised our hand saying that we were disobedient this week in what God has called us and expected of us to do and to be in this world. So what does that show? It shows that we need His grace every moment of every day, does it not? It just points out all the more. And is this not the heart of God? Does, is, he, is that not who he's after? Those who have fallen, those who are sinful, those who are in great need of him, whether it's by a yard or a hundred yards? The very heart of God is to go after. And he does things, church, he does things that makes no sense. The, the way that he acts, the way that he reacts, the things that, that his does, his logic is not like our logic, is it? The way that he goes after and the things that he does, and we, we see that in scripture over and over and over and over. Especially in Jesus, do we not? He appears to do things backwards. And so we see Jesus doing and acting in ways that are confusing. And so some of the backwards ways of doing things is this. Is in Luke 6, 27 and 28, Jesus says this. He says to do what? Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you and bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you. Does that not seem counterintuitive? I mean, okay, Jesus, like you're on this high, you're, you're the son of God, I get it, but, but love your enemies? Like, like you can do that, but he commissions us as followers to live that way, to be like that? Love your enemies? I'll love them from a distance. I'll love them enough to stay away from them. Do good to those who hate you? When was the last time you just served someone who hated you and couldn't stand you and wanted nothing to do with you? I mean, this is crazy talk. Bless those who curse you? Honestly, uh, like, like this is what Jesus, pray for those who abuse you. Yeah, I pray God gets a hold of them and wears their tail out. Like, like I can't get on board with that, God. But, but if you look at the, the, the beginning part of that verse there in Luke 6, 27 and 28, it doesn't carry that weight of, yeah, God, get them, wear them out, tear them up. Send fire from, yeah. That's not the heart behind it, is it? Kind of backwards. He, he, he does this, he extols the Samaritan who stopped to help the needy Jew. And so I don't know if you're familiar with that, but in that day, in that time, a Samaritan and Jew did not hang out together. It, it was so horrific that a Jew would go around Samaria to get to the point that they were going because they didn't want to get close to it. They didn't even want to be in that country. They wanted nothing to do with those people. That they would go out and around. And what does Jesus do? He commends the Samaritan for stopping and taking care of the Jew. Counterintuitive, it would seem. He commends the poor in spirit, Matthew 5, 3. And he justifies the man who cried out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then in 1 Peter 2, 23, it says this. It says, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he was mistreated and taken advantage of and all these things, he didn't do that in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he trusted to him who judges justly. Counterintuitive is not, I'm, like, I'm fighting. Like, you coming at me, I'm ready to fight and I'm ready to go. 
So when we read and we see God's heart is for Nineveh, it makes perfect sense when we understand the scriptures in totality that, that that's God's very purpose and heart is to go after people who are in desperate need of him whether they realize it or not in the day. That, that God sends us to go after. And church, is this not a story of us? For us to go after, for us to be a light in the darkness, for us to be a word of hope. And this world's looking for something. And if you haven't noticed that, man, you're disconnected and you need to get connected back in. That this world is looking and longing for something and they're not quite sure of what that is. But we are. We know. I mean, that's the heart of the book of Jonah. God wants Jonah to go tell these people of something they don't even know that they're looking for and longing for. And that's, that should be our heart. That's our commissioning to go and tell. So my hope for us this morning is that God would convict us so great as we read and as we look at these scriptures and we dive into, and it's going to be weighty and it's going to be heavy as, as God's going to pull back the curtain on our heart and reveal some things to us. My hope and my prayer is that God would just convict us so great out of our sin that true repentance would take place. That salvation would be found this morning in this place. So my heart this morning has been this. I've begged God to reveal I've begged God to, sh to show, to pull back the curtain and reveal the sin in our heart, reveal the sin in our life, to reveal things in us that, that are counterintuitive to God, that are, that are anti-God, that we need to squash and get rid of. Because in that, when he reveals and he shows us and we run headlong to the cross and repentance is had, and he will restore and he will make right. And when he reveals the lostness of people and he draws them to him and he shows them of the great love of his son on the cross, man, salvation will be had. And so that's my prayer. I'm going to ask you if you join me as we pray and then we'll jump into. Father, we love you. Jesus, we need you. We thank you for this morning. God, we beg, I beg, God, I, I implore you, please move and work in this place this morning. Oh God, that you would be so gracious and so good as, as you did here in the book of Jonah in this day, that you would reveal the sin in our lives and our hearts. God, that you would out us. And Father, in that moment when we feel that conviction and we see our sin in comparison to your holy and glorious son, Father God, that, that we would be broken. I mean, God, wreck us this morning, I beg. God, don't let me stand up here and preach this kind of a message. God, knowing that there could be sin in my life, God, and I, I pray, you do whatever you have to do in this place this morning. Starting with the guy standing on the stage proclaiming the message. Oh God, that you'd be good and gracious enough to break us and to reveal sin just like you did in Jonah. Jesus, we need you. We acknowledge that this morning. Work and move. And then we pray. Amen. So God tells Jonah to go. One, one chapter, chapter, chapter one, verses one and two. God tells Jonah to go. And let's look at how he responds to God. Jonah 1, 3 says this. But Jonah rose to flee. Okay, so there's, there's two options here in the call of God on Jonah's life. It's to either follow or to flee, and we see what Jonah chooses. He rises to do what? To flee. Flee means to run away, to escape. So God comes to Jonah, speaks to Jonah's heart, and he tells Jonah, go. I want you to go to this place, and I want you to cry out to these people. And Jonah's response is this. is not follow, but it's flee. And where does he flee to? He runs to Tarshish. Where in the heck is Tarshish? Okay, like I'm thinking, okay, if it's me, maybe, okay, okay, God, I, maybe you don't understand what you're asking me to do. Remember what we just talked about, the people of Nineveh. Uh, God, maybe you got your wires crossed for a moment. Maybe there's some issues. I don't know how you talk to God, but me and him kind of debate with him always winning in the end. Because he's a much better debater than I am. And when you know tomorrow, and I struggle to get through the next 30 minutes, he wins those arguments. And so... So if it's me here, I'm thinking, okay, God, like maybe you've, uh, maybe. And so I would maybe kind of like just, like I would hesitantly maybe obey, kind of, just to get close enough to maybe kind of see what the, uh, the people of Nineveh are doing, or maybe, uh, I say that to, no, let's be honest, I would be Jonah. We'd be Jonah. Look at him, he, he rises to flee to Tarshish. Do you know anything about Tarshish? Tarshish is 2,000 miles west of where God called him to go. So it's not like just like, okay, oops, he kind of missed it. Oh, poor Jonah. Oh, that God just, ah. Oh. No, no, no. Nineveh's here, and Jonah don't end up like over here, over here. But Jonah says, okay, God, I got gotcha. you. Boom, he's out over here. 
Nineveh, Tarsus. Nineveh, Tarsus. Like, it's not even, like, close. I mean, I mean it's, it's not like Jonah was down at the boat docks and kind of thinking, okay, let me look at the board. Okay, uh, what can I afford a ticket to? Where can I travel today? Where's the layovers? Mm, maybe. And then he accidentally gets on the wrong boat. Like, if you've ever flown, you, you know how easy that can be. That's not Jonah. No, no, no. He doesn't accidentally jump, jump on the wrong boat. And we're going to see that in here in a minute. But my man intentionally takes off the opposite direction. Not a little mess up. And I don't know about you, if you're tuning in online or if you're here this morning, but, but I just love the realness and the rawness of the scriptures. I mean, I'm thinking of like anybody else, like any other story God could have nestled right in there in the Old Testament with these prophets, and, and he could have given like, man, this is beautiful story of obedience and fellowship on the first time. But that's not us, is it? That's not us. This story reeks of us. I mean, we just admitted it just a minute ago. We're all wicked sinners in this room. You did it this week. And you know of the glorious love of Jesus. I did it this week, and I know of the glorious love of Jesus, and I still rebelled. I mean, I love the rawness and the realness of this scripture, of the scriptures in general. This dude, God speaks to, and he knows it's God speaking to him. And what does he do? He runs the opposite direction. Not just a little blunder, but a huge blunder. So why Tarshish? Look at what verse 3 says as it continues on. Because he believes this. He goes to, to Tarshish, why? From the presence of the Lord. Jonah thought that he could go somewhere where God wasn't. He thought, okay, God's game plan, God's got his little map, got this little thing worked out. God's going to be over in Nineveh, but I'm not going to be in Nineveh where God is. So I'm going to go away from the presence of the Lord. He thought he could play hide and seek with God. Uh, you know that game, right? Like, like it's so funny, like I've got my eight-year-old right now, and he can, he can hide from my four-year-old really, really easy. One, because my four-year-old don't like to look for very long. And two, my eight-year-old's just smarter and been around the block a few more times than my five-year-old. But that's not the case with God, is it? Like, like Jonah thought for a second that he could get away from the presence of the Lord. And he forgot one of the greatest attributes of our God, his omnipresence. Like God is everywhere at all times in all places. That's one of the attributes of God. You can't, you can't hide from him. You can't sidestep him. You can't trick him. You can't slow him up. God is always present everywhere at all times. He's not limited like you and I are. He doesn't get tripped up or confused. Man, where did I put them? Shucks. Holy Spirit, come here. You see him anywhere? Neither do I. Jesus, hey, hey. I'm looking for Scott. We don't get that from God, do we? Why? Because he's already there in the middle of it. He's here right now with us in the middle of this. He's there with you watching as you're watching online. He's going to be with you as you get in your car to drive. He's going to be where you're going to land here in a little bit. He is in the middle of everything at all times because he's omnipresent. You can't get away from his presence. He's everywhere. And so I think one of the reasons why it's so easy for us to sin or rebel is because we think we can get away with it. We forget this just like Jonah did. That the presence of God is everywhere at all times. Jonah forgot that. It was, it was like, it was just a couple weeks ago and I bring my, my boy, my, my oldest boy comes with me and early in the morning and, and it's, it's time for discipleship development. And I take him to his class and um, he had one of his little friends with him and they go in the class and they're in there and, and we have one of those moments. I'm like, all right, Brody, it's about time for discipleship development. I need you. And, and I kind of get one of those like, oh, dad, cramping his style. At eight, it's already started at eight years old. I'm cramping the kid's style. That means I'm being a good parent is what that means for all you parents out there. So I'm cramping his style and I kind of get that like little eye roll, yes, dad, you know. And so I'm like, all right, buddy. So I drop him off there and I say something to him and, I, and he, he kind of gives me that little eye roll like, yes, dad. And, and I do like that parent move, like this golden. I'm like, all right, buddy, I'll see you later. And Listen. You know what I'm talking about. Like, if you're, like, you've done that, right? Like, all right, buddy, see ya. And you know that they're about to do something they shouldn't do. And so you, like, walk off only to do, like, the leg throw to back and listen. 
is a great parenting move if you have not tried it. You should try it. And so I sat there at the door for a moment, close enough to kind of hear, and he begins, my dad. Oh, son, huh? Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, but he will use the preacher sometimes to help accomplish that. That's nowhere in Scripture. That's Scott. And so I just listened for a second, and I popped my head around. I was like, oh, really? And you see the, oh, God, I'm gone moment in his eyes. And I'm like, did, did I miss something, dude? And so now he went like from like, oh, my dad's cramping my style to, please God, don't let my dad kill me in front of my friends. And so I think the problem is that we're kind of like, like my boy, is, is that we, we think that we can get little things by him or we think, okay, God, God, he's kind of moved on to someone else or there's, there's bigger fish to fry. Like, have you not Notice that there's a pandemic we're in the middle of? Have you not noticed that, that the stock market? Have you not noticed that, uh, that, that we can't get toilet paper? Have you not noticed? God's much more worried about that. He has my little obedience in this moment, in this time. God's much more worried about that kind of stuff than he is the little old thing he asked me to do or the little old thing he asked me not to do. And my fears were, were like that, like my boy. L- listen to what Psalm 139.7 says. I think, I think it'll be on the screen. Psalm 139.7. Listen to what the psalmist says. He says, where shall I go from your spirit? He, he asks himself, like, where can I go where he's not? Or where shall I f- flee from your presence? He says, if I ascend into heaven, you're there. If, if, I, uh, flee, um, if I go down to the depths and make my bed in Sheol, you are there as well. I can't go to heaven. I can't go to Sheol. You're, the, you're everywhere. Where can I go where you're not? He says, if I, take, uh, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. The psalmist recognized and realized and understood that, that God is everywhere. He's in the middle of the sea right now. He's in the greatest need of your life right now. He's in the presence of this place right now in this moment. And we disperse and we go to our families to eat lunch, to do whatever we're going to do today. He is in the middle of every single one of us in that moment at the same time. And that's what the psalmist says. Jonah forgot. Church, don't forget. Please don't forget. So if God's there, why would we dare even entertain the thought of rebelling? Why would we do that? If we realized and we understood and we wouldn't disconnect from those moments about the presence of God, I really feel like our obedience would be much greater. And the likelihood of us jumping into rebellion and sin would, be, would dwindle greatly. And just a few reasons why I think that we're so quick to do that is because we want comfort, do we not? I mean, we all want to be comfortable. Right around that 70 degree mark is where we're the most comfortable, Right? Some of you hot natured, you like it with me, like 67, and we can, but, but, but a few degrees up and above, we're, we're okay, but we just want to be comfortable, and what, what God does is he calls us to be uncomfortable, doesn't he? Like, he calls us to do things that's going to make us uncomfortable. Why? So, so then he can step in and help, and he can get all glory and honor. I mean, if we do it on our own power, and our own volition, we don't need God. He doesn't get glory and honor. See, God knew Jonah going down there that, that, that Jonah would need God. Jonah didn't realize that he needed God in that moment. But God knew that Jonah needed him. And he tries to sidestep that and miss that. And I think that's us too. I think another reason why we're so quick to entertain rebelling or fleeing from God's presence is, is pleasure. We, we like pleasure and we think that God wants to ruin our life. And in one case, yes, he does because in ruining your life, it fixes your life. But we don't understand that or get that or see that in that moment. And so we are, are we not wired for pleasure? I mean, the synopsis in our brains that just go off at certain things that we do over and over and over. I mean, that's addiction patterns and things that happen and how our brain's wired. And we love pleasure. We love to feel all bubbly and, and whatever that is. We, like, we love that feeling. Oh, we do. Like, I want to, yeah, let me just drift over to there. And we think in that moment that is good for us. And we do, but what, there's always, there's always sin. And when sin comes, shame. And so I think one of the reasons why it's so easy for us to rebel is because we like pleasure. I think another reason is because we like, we like things on our own terms, don't we? All right, God, I will follow you if. And then we give him our list. And like there's nothing on the list that, that just hands over the keys of our life and allows him to direct and guide. 
So when things on our own terms, I, th- I think another reason why it's so easy to entertain rebellion is because of, of pressure from our culture. I mean, we live in this world that says, I deserve, do we not? I mean, holy cow, just jump on Facebook and see how glorious everybody's families just glisten in the snow as they're tubing down the hill. Oh, is this just beautiful and little like snow angels and they made the perfect little snowman and it's ah I mean we just live in that culture and that world that just feeds us that pile of stuff and so it makes us think that we deserve or that we need or that we should have and God says I've got something better for you and so with Jonah what happens here is he rebels does he not he he chooses to flee and he announces it emphatically, his unwillingness to serve God. How? Not by just kind of dabbling and getting close to, but by going the complete opposite direction. He's in open rebellion. And church, this is the only instance where we, we see a prophet refusing God's commission this way. If you're going to be known for something, right? No. I mean, this, this is horrific. So it goes on in verse 3. It says, he went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. I mean, he, he's determined, little sucker, isn't he? I mean, he's looking, he, he looks at, I mean, his determination here, his willingness to risk his life and ignore God's call to go to Nineveh. I mean, he's, he's passionate about it. So he, he looks for a ship going and, and it keeps on. And says, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. There it is again. And I just want to press you here. That's never a good place to be, away from the presence of the Lord. That, that is never, ever, ever ever a place that you want to reside or hang out is from the presence of the Lord. But that's what he's determined to get to. And so as I was studying this week and as I was looking and reading on some of this, uh, this would almost suggest that Jonah hired the whole ship. That he was so determined to rebel and not do what God asked him that he would have had to sell everything that he had to commission the ship, to get the ship, to get him away. That's how committed he was in not obeying God and doing what God wanted him to do. That he, would, he was willing to sell everything and follow his own will and his own way compared to God's. So that's where he goes. We're away from the presence of the Lord. And this is the second time we see this phrase used. I said he's very emphatic about getting away. Look at verse 4 as we continue. It says, but the Lord. There it is. Here, here we go. This is where it's going to get good. Jonah was so determined, but hear me, God's determination was far greater and far bigger. And I don't know what your walk with the Lord looks like, or I don't know where you're at in that process. If you're his, if you're not his, if you're just kind of into it, or, or you've like fully dove in and been submerged in who he is and what he's called you to do. But, but I love these moments of intentionality from the Lord. Like we think for a moment we can do something, but, but look, it says, but the Lord. So now it's going to shift back. Okay, this is what this rebellious, boneheaded dude did. Now look at what God's going to do. His determination. But the Lord did what? He hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break. So what we see here is God's sovereignty even over creation. We see God's control and rule and reign so much so that what does he do? He hurls the wind. The psalmist knew it. Did he not? In 139, he says, you go to the middle of the sea and he's hanging out there in the middle of the sea. Jonah gets to taste firsthand of this. God hurls a great wind upon the sea. I mean, what power and what might and what splendor our God shows. And when God is determined and God is after you, oh, he is going to come with everything that he has. He hurls the wind at him. None of us in this room has that kind of power. None of us in this room has that kind of might. None of us in this room has any of that in us. Oh, but God does. And when God wants to get your attention, he's going to do everything in his power to do it. When God's got a call on your life, and a direction he wants you to go, and a place he needs you to be, he is going to be loving and gracious enough to get your attention at all costs. And so what we know about this storm is this, is it's not your common storm. I mean, God had a special purpose for this storm. He hurls the great winds upon the sea, and it stirs it up. Wow, look, in verse 4 there it says, so that the ship threatened to break. There when you see that word threatened, it just means determined. That ship was determined, it was set out in that moment to bust up and to break. Why? Because Jonah was being pressed on by God. 
God wanted to get Jonah's attention so much so that the wind of the sea, even the boat comes up against Jonah. That's the power God has. Hear me, God loves you so much and desires so much for you that he will do whatever necessary to get your attention. Whatever necessary to, to get you to follow after, to get you to be obedient. And hear me, if you're his, he has every right and just to do that. We've been bought with the prices what the scriptures teach. We're not our own. We belong to the Lord. We're his. Whatever he says, whatever he deems fit for us is right and good and just. Why? Because he's given it all for us. And so when God says don't do something, what well, we don't do it. And when we do it, he's good and right to discipline us in that. Because he loves us and he cares for us. And it's just like you and me as parents, is it not? When our kids do something, what do we do? We discipline them. Why? Because we see better in them. We want better for them. We, we want them to get it. We want them to grow. We want them to know and to walk in that. Why? Because we know that there's so much more in obedience than there is disobedience. So much more. God is no different with us. He is loving and gracious and he will get our attention. And I pray, my prayer for me is that I'm not as hard-headed as I typically am and that I will listen before he has to do that. I don't want the sea hurled at me. I don't know about you. I don't like the sea coming. I don't like the waves. There are monsters out there that will get you in that water. That's why I only go to about here. Because I think in my mind, I can get out quick enough. And if that shark grabs a hold of me, like I've watched enough explored, I'm, I'm like, you go for their eyes and their gills every time. But God's loving and just enough to do that for us that are His, right? Because there's a better way. There's something greater that He has for us. And He goes on in verse 5 and He says this, Then the mariners were afraid. You know this is a bad day when you've got the boys on the ship that are accustomed to being in storms in the open sea. When they get a little shaky and a little scared, you know that's bad. I mean, there was something different about this one is what that would indicate, what that would show us. That, that the, I mean, these guys are like boat people in the middle of the ocean boat people. Not like cute, like, like Bowen, like let me get my skis and go for, for a ride type people. I mean, like, these are open sea type guys. Like these, like these dudes are in it. And they become a little uneasy. And look so much as it continues in verse 5 that they cried out to his God. And then they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea so to lighten it for them. They uneasy, church. This man's sin has affected them, and they are uneasy in this moment of Jonah's rebellion. So, so hear me, I just want to press here for a moment, we'll keep on going, but, but your sin doesn't just affect you, but it affects others. Let me say that again. Your sin isn't just between you and God. It is, but it isn't because it affects everyone else, and the ripples of your sin is long-stretching. That's what we see in this story this morning. So much so that it'll cause you to be a pain to be around. So what we need to do is we need to own our sin, we need to repent, we need to take it before the Lord and ask Him to break our heart. Because as we see Jonah here in this moment, he thinks he's being sly, he thinks he's being cute, he's kind of sidestepped God for this moment, he's getting away, but God has a different plan so much so that even Jonah's sin affects the boys that had nothing to do with it. And church, hear me, our sin is no, no different. No different. See what it says there as we keep going? It says that Jonah had gone down to the inner parts of the ship and he had lain down and was fast asleep. I mean, how in the world? Get, I mean, get your head around that. This isn't like a normal storm. Those guys even see it and are aware of it. I mean, I mean, how in the world? These trained professionals, they're scared to death in this moment. And you have this sweet little rebellious Jonah doing what? Sleeping in the bottom of the ship. Sleeping in the bottom of the ship. Why was he asleep? I mean, how could he be sleeping in a moment like this? So we're not 100% sure, but I'm going to give a stab at it this morning. And, and I'm going to kind of speculate, and I'm going to tell you what I know to be true in my own life. Is that when you run from God, it will slap where you out. When you are rebellious in your sin, it will wear you out. Hear me, there is emotional exhaustion and a weight on someone who rebels against God. Every time, I don't care how little or how big it is, every, there is an emotional exhaustion. There is a weight on us when we rebel against God. Well, because, I mean, there's a fear in that, right? There is a fear in sin, a fear, for, especially for us as believers. 
I mean, you even see it in the lost world, but there is a fear. Fear of what? Getting caught. So go ahead and have your little affair. Go ahead and take your little piece of the pie. Go ahead and manipulate the little situation. Go ahead and tell your little lies. Go ahead and try to do whatever you got to do to get ahead, cutting everybody in the process up. There is a weight in that that wears on us because we're not created to live in that. We're not created for that kind of stuff. God has given us this opportunity of freedom and life and vitality. We're going to talk about it here in a moment. And it's not found in sin. No matter how big or how small. There's an emotional exhaustion. Because there's that fear of getting caught. The old no moment. Do they really know? Do they not know? And so there's that fear of... What will they think? What will they do? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a husband, or I'm a co-worker, or I'm the boss, or I'm the... I mean, if they really know me... And, and the problem is, church, the problem is, is that we've got our focus and eyes on the wrong ones. Our concern and our care should be with what God thinks, what, what He says. And so... Let's just talk about that for a moment, this whole thought of sin. Because I believe sin is just born out of a belief that disobeying God, that doing wrong will produce a happier outcome than obeying God, doing right. That's what Jonah thought, that, that if he disobeyed God, that he'd be happier, that he'd be more pleased, that he'd be in a better place. And if he obeyed God, that he wouldn't have that joy and that happiness and that contentment that he needed if he went down to Nineveh. So what does he do? He, he goes the other way. He goes the other way. Whether or not we're conscious of this, hear me, I just believe it's true. Nobody sins out of obligation. Nobody sins out of obligation. Every sin is just some repeat version, some rerun of the original human sin when the forbidden tree's fruit was eaten. So why did they do it? Were they ignorant? No, they weren't ignorant. Why? Because God told them. God told them not to eat of that tree, not to eat of that fruit. They would be doing wrong that they would be far happier if they refrained from eating in it and walking in freedom of him. But what happened? Satan put a, a different spin on things, didn't he? Satan had different motives, and he told them that they'd be far happier if they ate. You'll actually be alive. You'll know. They said, no, we'll die. They said, no, no, you won't die. God won't kill you. So Satan does. He lies to us and tells us that sin is great and good, and we would enjoy it. And so Jonah thought that he'd be happier if he took off the Tarshish. And we're no different in our sin, are we? We think for a moment, we look, and we're like, ah, I'd be happier if I just over there, if I just did this, or if I just acted like that, or if I just watched that, or if I just responded this way. That, that, that in that moment, we'll be happier. But hear me, this is what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that there's pleasure in sin for what? A season. That's what the book of Hebrews says. That there is pleasure in sin for a season. And doesn't that sin just, just attest to everything in our fallen nature? Oh, you're right. If I was just with that person. Or if I just talked like that in that moment. Or if I just fought for that. Or if I just acted like that. Or if I just said that. Or if I just manipulated that. Or if I just did this in that moment. And it may seem good for a season. But hear me, it ends so quickly. And there's pieces to pick up. There's guilt. There's shame. There's fear. There's exhaustion. And not to mention you being a pain to be around. And how it affects everybody else that you're with. But it's not the case when you're obedient to Jesus, is it? It's not the case. I mean, listen to what Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. He says this. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There is rest in Jesus. Not this because I'm worn out because of disobeying and rebelling, but there is true rest in Jesus. He says, take my yoke upon you in verse 29. Learn from me. Why? For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for what your souls. We're not worried about rest for the body. We want our souls to rest. We want satisfaction and contentment to be found. And it's only found in Christ. And guess what? When God knows you and you repent and you're open and you're honest in your relationship with him, man, there is immense freedom in that. And hear me, I'll even go a step further and say when you have accountability in your life and you have people in your life that are going to walk with you and care for you and ask those questions and that you can confess to, look at my computer. Look at my iPads. Look at my phone. Look at my stuff. Ask me those questions that are going to sting and hurt. Well, you ain't got no right, no business. You've got every right to. Well, because I want to be better. I want to follow Jesus. I want to be obedient. And because there is great rest for the soul there in following Jesus. I'm going to be worn out, but I'm going to be worn out in a different way. 
I would much rather be worn out for following and obeying than I would be worn out for disobeying and, and, and living in fear of being outed. There's not freedom there, church. There is no freedom there. So when I am known and I walk in that, man, there is rest for my soul. Jesus says this, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. See, that's what comes when we're in Christ. Rest for the weary soul. Vitality of life. True, true joy. And then he goes on as we, as we wind down. He says, so the captain came to him and said, what do you mean, you sleeper? Like the captain is just like blown away in this moment. Are you, he's sleeping in the boat? We're professionals and we're scared to death. And this joker's down there taking a nap? Wake his butt up. Get that boy up here. Arise is what he says. And you know what's so beautiful about that word? And this is what I just love about the scriptures. Arise is the exact same word we see God using in verse 2. Arise. And then we're going to see it again here in, in just a moment. Another word that God uses. So at one point it's God speaking. Then it's the captain speaking. But the beauty of the scriptures is that it carries the same weight and the same meaning. Get your tail up. Take notice. There's something that needs your desperate attention. And one, God used his own voice. And two, God uses this, this, this mariner in the, in the ocean on this boat. So he says, arise, call out. Same word we see in verse 2. As God speaks to Jonah, arise, call out. His calling out at first was a, as a messenger proclaiming hope to the hopeless. Now it's as one in great need of hope. Man, how the ties have turned. So, so church, just hear me this morning. Your sin will take you further than you want to go and it will leave you at a place you never intended to be. And what I've learned is this starts out with just a little itty bitty sin. And those jokers will grow quicker than you could ever, ever imagine. Just one little glance, just one little thought, just one little conversation, just one little thing here. You are miles down the road from your starting point wondering what in the heck has happened? How do I get out of this? That's what sin will do. Take you further than you ever want to go and leave you to a place you never want to be. And that's what we see in Jonah's life, is it not? Started in this great little place. Jonah, I just need you to go down to, to Nineveh for a minute. I need you to call out, arise, go, do this thing for me. No, God. And now he's miles upon miles away in the middle of the ocean, in the middle of a storm, a place he never wanted to be. So much so that look at what happens there. Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give us a thought, give a thought to us that we may not perish. Get this, get this picture in your head for a moment, church. You have this heathen captain here pleading with the prophet of God to cry out to the one and only living God for rescue. I mean, is that not backwards? I mean, is that not crazy? You've got the man of God in the boat sleeping in the middle of the storm, and you've got the boater on the top of the boat freaking out, scared to death. And what does he have to do? He has to wake the man of God to get up to do something. See, the unbeliever in this moment feels the magnitude of the situation while the man of God is asleep and unaware. Church, don't let that become us. Whatever we have to do, don't let that become us. Don't become tired and wore out in sin. Don't become complacent, complacent and fall asleep. Don't let the world have to awaken us in our actions. Awaken us in our awareness. Man, may we be looking. May we be aware. My prayer, my hope for us is we walk through this beautiful little book nestled here in the Old Testament that God would awaken in us a heart. That $50, uh, this one time, will blossom into something more. That, that it'll blossom into us going out and us sharing and us talking and us having conversations, investing more money in our community, investing more money in the nations, investing more money in our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, investing more time, more energy, us getting outside the four walls of this building and be obedient to God's voice to go and to do and proclaim the gospel message of Jesus Christ. That's my hope and that's my heart. And we better never get in the shape of where the lost world has to call us and on us and awaken us to the reality of the need in this world. As we see the prophet Jonah here, as the band comes back up, church, may we be looking, may we be aware, may we be in tune with what's going on around us, in our community, in our lives, in this world. And may we be brokenhearted over the rebellion and the lostness that we see and experience. 
So to close, the first thing we see is this Jonah's in open rebellion, so much so that he jumps in a ship heading 2,000 miles away in the opposite direction. The question I'd have for you is this. What about you? What boat are you in? Where are you headed? Where are you going? Are you going toward the presence of the Lord or are you trying to flee and get away from it? Are you going toward the presence of the Lord or are you trying to flee and get away from it? Because what we saw this morning brings us to the second reality of this is that God stacks the odds against Jonah. God loves Jonah enough that he doesn't let him get away with his sin. God loves him enough. And the reality is this church, we can't play hide and seek. We know that he's got a call in our life, a ministry for us to be a part of, a ministry of reconciliation, a ministry of going and sharing and doing, a ministry of us living out him in this world. What we see here is the one hiding in plain sight and is fully exposed in his secret place in the bottom of a ship when it comes to God. And so what I would say to you is this, is the most loving thing that God can do to you is expose you in your sin. How is that loving? Because you're like Jonah and you think that secret sin is a secret. All the while it's affecting everybody else and you're unknown about it. All the while it's killing you and you don't even realize it and see it. And the most loving thing God can do is call you on it if you're his. If you're not his, he's going to give you a different call. It's going to be a wake-up call to come and follow, surrender, and submit, and enter into a relationship with him with true salvation. And, but if you're his, he's loving and kind enough and gracious enough and to call you on your sin. Because in that moment, now you have to do something with it. See, when it's secret, you think you can pet it, you can feed it, you can bring it out to play whenever you want to and put it back in its cage. Nobody knows. Do your own little thing with it. Oh man, but when God is gracious and loving enough to expose you in that, oh church, now we can, now we can walk in the realness of the love and mercy of Christ. Because now we have the option to either continue to rebel and hide, let our heart grow harder, or we can say, crud, I've been caught. I've been caught. I need to handle it. I need to deal with it. I need to do something with it. And what I've learned is God is gracious and loving enough to do that for us. He's doing it to Jonah. And the last thing I would say to us is this, man. Jonah is exhausted so much so that he's knocked out in the bottom of a boat while a horrific storm is raging. Don't grow weary. Church, don't grow weary in sin. God's grace and mercy is extended. Run to him. Run to him. Find rest. Be restored. Allow conviction to, to just to stir your heart all the more to fall on your face before God. And in that, you'll find true rest. You don't have to live tired and weary. I mean, you can find true rest that's found only in Him. In a life of repentance, in a life of saying, you know what, God, you're right. And my motive and my heart doesn't match up to yours. Like, like, and I always, like, it's one of those things, like, I'll hear preachers say stuff like that, and they're like, okay, but what, really, like, really, what have they been doing? Like, really. And, and like, I, rose my, I, rose, I raised my hand this week. Because, yeah, I've sinned. I've seen that there's been times, like, like it was just the other day, we're getting in the car, and my middle son, love his heart, he is nothing like me. But apparently, as I'm learning, he's everything like me. Maybe that's the problem. And so as we're getting ready to go, we're pulling out, he's still not buckled up, and I'm like, he's, he can do it himself, he does it all the time. I'm like, come on, dude, let's do this. And now his brother decides to help him, help him not get buckled up. And so we're in the middle of that, and we're pulling out. And, and I've, like, pulled out, like, I'm not on, like, the main road. But, like, I'm, like, close enough to it now. We can smell it, you know? And I'm like, are you, are you buckled? No. I'm like, the cops are just going to get you and take you to jail. Let's go. And Meredith's like, dude. I'm like, I'm tired of it. And I just, like, lost it in that moment. Gosh. Love him. Pray for him. And we talked about it after, and there's apologies that's had, and all of those things, well, because God convicts. I mean, that's just a little, ex I mean, in that moment, my like, gosh, where did that come from? A little booger. And in that, what God is doing is just refining me and helping me to learn patience and teaching me more about myself, that I'm nowhere near as far along as I thought that I was. And so what I do, I repent, because I don't want that to grow into something down the road where, well, Daddy hit him. No, I'm going to spank him. That's the difference between spanking and hitting. I'm going to spank and discipline. I'm not going to hit my kids. I'm going to spank them and discipline them. But if I don't crush these little things like that, it'll grow into something big. Well, same thing like with a computer, man. Like, like I've shared my struggle with pornography here before. And if I'm not careful, hear me. If I'm not careful, 
that monster will well up and it'll suck me right in and it'll take me, it'll take my family, it'll take everything. And I love my family more than I do looking at a screen of stuff I shouldn't look at. And so what am I going to do? I'm going to kill it. I'm going to confess it. I've got people in my life. When those things start to rise up, I'm going to, I'm going to call them. I'm going to run from them. I'm going to throw my computer away, whatever I got to do. Because I don't want to let something little grow into something big. I don't want to be in the bottom of the boat, storm raging, me unaware of it, or slap out because of my sins got the best of me. Whenever there is full life found in Jesus Christ, that's where I want to be. That's where I want to stay. That's where I long to be. And I want to do everything I can to destroy it. So I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what God stirred on your heart, what he has done, what he has spoken to you as, as a result of his word this morning and this rebellion that we see in Jonah. But hear me, church, you don't have to be there. You don't have to be there. And what I know about this place, about these people in this room, is that we're going to fall on you and we're going to weep with you and we're going to walk with you and we're going to be committed to you and we're going to care for you. Why? Because as you saw 30 minutes ago, every single person in this room raised their hand struggling with sin this week. And so there's not one of us in this room any better than anybody else that we are in the need of the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ in this very moment. And my prayer and my hope is that we'll allow the Holy Spirit to work us over so much so to the point that we will flood this altar and we will find the accountability that we need. Do you know, like, I read a statistic this week. By the age of 12, 100% of kids have been exposed to pornography. The age of 12. Why in the heck are we starting an after-school ministry? Because we don't want your kids at home by themselves on the computer. Because that's where it started for me. A 12-year-old don't need to be at home by themselves. Well, they've got a 15-year-old or 18-year-old brother watching them. Really? That's who you're going to entrust your kid to? And we want to do whatever we can to provide a place. I want to do whatever we can to defeat sin, to kick Satan in the teeth. And so we're going to fight hard. And so church, that's the kind of church we're going to be. That's the kind of people you're going to experience here. And so there's no sin in this room that scares us, that makes us want to stay away, that, that, that we're fearful of in this room. Why? Because every one of us has come through the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. And I don't know what he's stirring in your heart this morning. I don't know what he has spoken to your soul. But I beg of you, don't leave this place without being obedient to whatever he's called you to. Father, help us in this moment. As weighty and as heavy as it is. God, none of us likes to be outed. But God, I'm afraid that there's some of us in this room that's asleep in the bottom of the boat. So God, I pray for a good little jolt this morning. That you do a work in this place, that you are glorified and that you move, that you save the lost, that you set the captive free, Jesus. We desperately, desperately need you in this moment right now. Move and speak. Your name we pray. Amen. These guys are going to lead us. You pray. We're here. Whatever we can do to serve you and walk with you and love, love on you, we are committed to doing that.